This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. I'm not sure how to take Sam's introduction today. I don't think he meant anything by it. I'm a little sensitive about these things. He said, our preacher today is Zane Crawford. Let's pray for our service. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. Uh, this is the time of year for about the last 20 three or four or five years, uh, I have said something. Uh, I, I think last year may have been the, the first year I haven't said it when we have weather like this. I heard old Vance Habner, great preacher to preacher, years ago, I was at a meeting in the middle of the summer, and he said this, whether the weather is hot or whether the weather is not, you'll weather the weather, whatever the weather, whether you like it or not. Now, the sad thing this morning is somebody will leave this place today, and that's the only thing that they will remember. <laughs> and that's true. And some of the responsibility for that lies on us as church people. Uh, this is Dana and my last time in all likelihood to be here as members of this fellowship. As most of you know, uh, several months ago we moved out. If you go out I-10 and pass Bucky's, you're almost to the right exit to take to get to us. So it's a, a little bit of a hike. And so we've been spending some time visiting churches and trying to find a church home. And folks, I want to tell you, it is not easy. There's some good churches out there and I'm sorry to say there are some that do not teach and preach the Word of God faithfully. Consider yourselves fortunate, blessed, that every time you show up in, in this place, that the Word of God will be faithfully expounded. Now, the fact that it is taught does not necessarily mean that it is caught. Part of the message today, a little bit later on, we're going to see that it is, well, if we were to do a, a show of hands today and said, how many of your lives were changed, dramatically changed by a sermon or a message? There'd be some, but few that would raise their hand and say, yes, that, that sermon stuck in my mind. It's changed. Or how many sermons have stuck in your mind? You know what impacts us? It's the lives of believers that somehow the word has gotten inside of them and changed their lives. And you see their lives and say there's something authentic or something real in that that harmonizes in, in a sympathetic way toward my heart and my person. And whatever it is that has changed and touched their lives, that's what I want. Sometimes that happens before you're a Christian, often does. And many times it is part of our Christian experience. We see those that have traveled a little further down the road. And we see in them what we aspire to be in our walk with Christ. So today, remember that contact, your contact with others as we receive God's word, what you do with it when you take it home, is what's really going to impact the lives of the people around you. We have an illustration of that today in the scripture that we're going to look at. So I want to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to 
the longest chapter in your Bible, Psalm 119. It has 176 verses, and we're going to go through every one of them today in great detail. <laughs> Actually, we're, we're only going to be able to do about eight verses, the very first eight verses. Uh, Structurally, the psalm uh, follows a, a, a format. Uh, the, the, the Hebrews had some conventions that they normally used in uh, especially their, their, the songs that they wrote, the psalms, poetry that they wrote. And we see that structure in the 118th Psalm. It has, it's divided into eight verses all the way through. Uh, the first eight, first line of all eight verses begin with the letter A in the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. And it goes like that all the way through 22 letters of the alphabet. The, the next eight, all the lines begin with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So you take 22, multiply by eight, you get 176. Now, the reason why I go into that detail, there, there really is a reason for that, is because when, when, we, when we look at this prayer, song, there's great intentionality in it. It's not haphazardly produced. Now, I... I I don't know what your theory of inspiration is, uh, and I'm not sure we know exactly how this psalm, this song, this prayer was produced. And the reason why I call it a prayer is because in, in this 176 verses, about 250 times, the psalmist says, either you or your, and he, he is addressing the Lord God himself. And he says, Lord, your word is good, it's right, it's strong, it does this. Lord, you have done this in your word. And it is, it is an address from one person to another person. It is a, a prayer. And really, a lot of our songs are prayers, whether we know that or not for our own good. Because every time we sing a song and say, Lord, you're good, that ought not just be a song, it ought to be a prayer. We're addressing God every time we say you and you, you are this, your word is this, and we talk about what you do. And so 176 verses, the psalmist sits down and writes in this very precise form. And he has meditated on, on the truth that he knows and what he wants to communicate and what he wants to say. Sam, where's Sam? You didn't leave yet, did you? Okay. Did you write your prayers today? Does that make them any less holy than spontaneous? When I look at this prayer, the longest prayer that we have in God's word, it, it just could not have come off spontaneously unless, of course, in God's providence, the spirit moved and it just went into his mind and, and through his pen. I, I suspect that's not what happened. I think there was great precision and great purpose. 
so that he could say exactly what he knew to be true and what was on his heart. Now, I want to say one other bit of, well, that's not really true. I got a couple of other preface remarks that, that I need, need to say about this. We're, we're going to begin with a, an overview of these eight verses very quickly, but they'll give us the background that we're going to need to look at the individual verses in detail. So I want to invite you, ask you, implore you to have your Bibles handy because we're going to look at individual words that are significant and important to be able to understand what the psalmist is doing, not just here, but laying the foundation for everything that he does in the rest of these 176 verses that are here. So keep your Bibles handy. We'll do the overview, and then we'll look in, in the detail of it. Here's the actual introduction. Uh, not too long ago, a few, few months ago, maybe not even that long, uh, I got the first-hand account of a person who was the overnight guest in the home of an older uh, widow lady. When it became time to retire that night, the guest of the home was in one bedroom, and the widow was in the adjoining bedroom, older home, uh, relatively thin walls, I, I assume, and as the guests lay down to go to sleep and was tucked into their bed and ready to go to sleep, the voice, muffled, came through into this room. And the old widow lady, unseen, but you could kind of picture what was going on, must have been on the side of her bed with a list of some kind in her hands. And for about 30 minutes, goes down a prayer list and calls out individual names, family members, church members, neighbors. Not just calling out names, but calling out needs and circumstances about those people. The guest is eavesdropping on holy ground, knowing that I really shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be hearing what is obviously such a, a private, personal encounter between this widow lady and her Lord and God. There, there's an encounter there, and it's real, and it's personal, and it's deep. And as the guest hears this prayer, the impact is, that's what I want to be. There are people in this church that you and I look at and we see their lives and we aspire to be and become where they are, what they have possessed and they're growing in the grace of the Lord. We don't want to be them. We want to be what God has done in their lives. What they have gotten is what I want. And so we look at the first three verses of Psalm 119. 
it is a reflection on what he has seen. The, the psalmist, in a very real sense, when he writes this, is in his private room, in his holy place, and he's writing what is on his heart. And we are able to eavesdrop on him today. And this is what he says. It begins with a reflection on what he has seen, a meditation on it, and he gleans truth from it. First three verses. How blessed or blessed. If you're this age and you're raised on the King James, you say blessed. You just can't help yourself. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They they walk in his ways. Now, this lays the foundation for everything that follows. Everything from this point on changes from looking out, those people, I see them, they're like this, blessed are they. And then the prayer begins and he says, Lord, you, you, your, yours, over and over and over. So there's a great transition that begins after verse 3, but it is rooted in the reflection of what he's seen in the lives of those around him who have been walking with God. And the conclusion he comes to is this, those people are blessed. Now the word for blessed here is not the normal word that you see in the Bible in the Old Testament uh, that we normally associate with God's blessing. It says God blessed Abraham or God blessed this person. It's not that word. That, That word is Well, the word blessed is used a little over 400 times in the Old Testament. About 300 plus of those is that word. This word, blessed are those whose way is blameless, is a different word. It's kind of the word that we look at somebody at their life and say, man, they've got it to get, get, they are fortunate. Life has been good to them. Their life works. And it's just an acknowledgement of, of a condition of life that is, that is good, that they're, they're living a blessed. As a matter of fact, most of you probably know that the, the Jewish community in time, uh, New Testament times, they, they had lost facility with the Hebrew, many of them. And so the Old Testament was translated into Greek so that they could hear in a language that they understood. It's the, we call that the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And the word for blessed here is the same word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes that many modern translations translate, happy is the man. Happy is the man. His life is, it's just blessed. It's good. Doesn't mean that bad stuff doesn't happen. We've got families now in our church that going through difficult times. And yet if you were to go to ever to those people that I have in mind, they would say, I am a blessed man, even when the hard things happen. 
And so he looks at these people whose way is blameless and says they are blessed. That when you walk in this way, in this path, there is a security in that. An illustration that I have probably overused through the years, and you've heard it, but maybe there's one or two here today that haven't. I think it will be useful to you. It's been meaningful to me. 1969, I went into the United States Marine Corps, Paris Island, and uh, immediately am thrust into a brand new culture. It was the height of the Vietnam War. Uh, I'd enlisted in the reserve, so I was a little different from most of the guys that I was going through basic training with. There's 80 guys in a, in a room for the next three months. We're being trained to be Marines. And uh, most of them in that room are going to Vietnam. <clears throat> and uh, the practice of our drill instructor <clears throat> in the evenings was to bring us all together, pull your footlockers out from under your buck, sit down, I've got something to say to you. I distinctly remember one time he, he pulled out Leatherneck Magazine. And in that time, the very back of Leatherneck Magazine, a monthly uh, magazine for Marines, there was a list of the Marines that had died in Vietnam the month before. And he'd go down that list, and he picked out a name, and he called out the Marine's name and said, I knew he was going to get killed. He never listened to anything I said. You couldn't teach him anything. And then he said this, men, if you listen to me, you just might live. If you listen to me, you just might live. And he did that at a point in time in our training where we had kind of gotten in the rhythm of knowing what was going on and how to play the game. And our attention span, let's just say, had waned a little bit. But suddenly that helped pick up our attention. If you listen to me, you just might live. And that's really what we see in these passages. I look at people whose life is secure and right and good. And this is what I see is, is what does it. Their way is, is blameless. Verse 1, their way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. So there, there's not just an exposure to truth that achieves this kind of life. It is, it is hearing, it is being here today, it's hearing God's word, the truth is there, but are you going to walk in that or not? Exposure is worthless unless there's a response to it that's implemented in the daily life. The blessed life that God wants you to have is, is found in the narrow way. This is the path that leads to life. I said before you today, life and death, I want you to choose life. Choose life. And here's where you find it. And Jesus Christ says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And even if you die, that if you're in me, you will have life. 
that will never be taken away from you. Doesn't matter how bad the circumstances may be, if you are blameless, and we'll look at that word in a minute, it's, it's full of meaning. If you're blameless in your walk with me, you're sincere in your walk with me, you, life will never leave you. Let's look at the word blameless for a minute. It's uh, akin to the word in the New Testament that talks about a sincere faith. Uh, the Hebrew word here is a word that means uh, solid. It means not, not fractured or broken. There's a wholeness to it, firm. And the reason why I say it's like the New Testament word sincere faith, the word sincere captures the meaning of this word blameless. It is rooted, some sources say Greek, some say Latin. There's a great similarity there. The illustration is wonderful. Uh, sincere, two Latin words, sincere, without wax. Do you know what that stuff in your ears called that you clean out every now and then? We call it wax. The technical term, doctors will tell you, is ceramin. Sere is the root of it. Sincere, without wax. And where that comes from is when artists were carving out uh, marble statues, figures in marble. They would often encounter, unbeknown to them until they'd gotten into it, a flaw. Uh, a, a, a vacancy in, in part of the marble. Well, obviously, if you're doing an expensive uh, production for somebody and you've been hired to do that and you're in the middle of it and you've done tremendous work on it and you've got this crack, what do you do? Well, what they did is they filled it full of wax, covered it up, they hid it, camouflaged it so that it wouldn't be recognized or seen. So that without wax, sincere came to mean something that is complete and whole and solid, not divided, not broken. It's kind of the thought of James who says, uh, don't be a double-minded man. Be, be one or the other. Let not the, the double-minded man think he's going to receive anything of the Lord. You can't be yes and no toward the Lord. And so when the psalmist looks at the world around him and the people around him that have been exposed to God's word, the community of faith, fellow Jews, he says the blessed people are those whose lives aren't camouflaged to be something that is really not. There's a wholeness. And so elsewhere the psalmist says, Lord, unite my heart before you. Make it whole. Make it one before you. So the blessed life is the man whose heart completely belongs to God. Not yes and no, sometimes Jesus, sometimes not Jesus. It's a faithful man. And it's seen in their walk. Now, I may have to come back next week. Maybe Travis will stay sick for a week. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. 
let me get my clock down there and see where we are. There are, are seven words in these eight verses. Uh, let, let me just read them to you. Verse one, law, the law of the Lord. Verse two, his testimonies. Verse three, his ways. Verse four, your precepts. That's where it changes from about him to him. Your precept, your precepts. You've ordained your precepts. Verse five, uh, your statutes. Verse six, your commandments. Verse seven, your judgments. All these are variations on the idea that God has expressed his will, his ways, uh, his spiritual truth, uh, and has given them to us. Now, illustration. the physicists tell us, and I'm going to take their word for it, that when you look at light from one perspective as a scientist, and when I mean perspective, it means from a certain series of tests, and you analyze it and look at what it does and how it acts, it has all the attributes of a particle. It's got substance to it. It's subject to gravity. Light bends around the sun when it goes past it because the gravity of the sun grabs those particles of light and bends it. So sometimes you're seeing something that's actually behind something because light is a particle. And they say, but you know, when you look at it from another perspective, a different set of tests, it's not a particle at all. It's pure energy in in a wave configuration. It's both those things at the same time, and yet they are completely identifiable in in separate ways. It's kind of like passing light through a prism so that you suddenly begin to see all of the colors that are there. But when you put them together, they all belong together. They don't contradict each other. They, They go, it's kind of like Jesus. Fully man, fully God, and how you look at him, the perspective that you see, you see one or the other, and they don't contradict, they're completely unified in him, and this physicist can't explain it. I, I've never seen anybody explain the Trinity well. It just is. The Bible just declares it, and it, and it is. Well, that's the way it is with these seven or eight words. Uh, the, the first one that we see up there in verse 1, the word law, is kind of a comprehensive term. I, I take it, this is the full beam of light. When, when the light comes in, th- this is what you see, the law. And the words that come after it, are after it passes through the prism, these are different aspects of God's word to us. And we see something a little different in each of them. It's a different facet of what the light is. But the truth is, you've got all of them when you have the light. Let's let's look at them. So in verse 2, he said, I want to tell you who's blessed. It's not just those whose way is blameless, is whole. It's those who observe. That doesn't mean look. Doesn't mean to see. It means those that keep. You've heard of an observant Jew. We ask, are you an observant Jew? What we're asking is, 
do you practice your faith or is your uh, Jewish heritage really what identifies you and not your relationship to the Jewish faith? Are you observant or not? And that's what this word means. Are Blessed are those, that the ones that have that kind of life, that secure, blessed life, are those who are observant in God's testimonies. Now, how is testimonies different from the other words that we're going to see? The word testimony in the Hebrew here is a word of witness. It's as if God stands and says, I am bearing testimony. I am identifying my person with the truth of what is about to be proclaimed. He is staking his character and his personhood on this. And so here, here's the response. The man is blessed who believes the declarations and the testimony that God gives. When God gives a command, it is a testimony from his person about the felicity, the truthfulness, the blessedness of what he is about to declare. Now notice this. Blessed are those who observe his testimonies who seek him with all their heart. You see, the blessedness does not come in keeping the law, keeping the rules, keeping the regulations. The blessing comes because you you honor those because of the person that's bearing the testimony. I honor God at my best. I glorify him most when I believe him. He is bearing testimony. And I say, I believe you that when you say, this is where life is, I'm going to go there because you're the one that has borne testimony to that reality. Blessed is the one that keeps God's testimonies and seeks him with all of their heart. And so somebody asked Jesus, what's the great command in all the Bible? And he says, the the greatest of all the laws, all the statutes, all the commands, the greatest one is this. Love God with an unblemished heart, undivided heart, with everything that you are, inside and out, mind, heart, soul, body, strength. That's the great commandment. And you know what? When you love God like that, the commands become easy. When you love him, you do for him to honor him. I, I am retired. My wife is not. I vacuum. Because I enjoy it so much. And the truth is, I get that vacuum out at least once a month, (laughs) maybe more. And I vacuum for one reason. This is going to bless my wife. This is going to honor her. I'm doing this for her. And you know what? It's not an onerous assignment. I'm going to tell you something. Keeping the law without love doesn't bring life, it brings death. The law kills. Legalism kills. 
It is when we love the Lord Jesus Christ because of who he is and what he has done that trusts what he says and says, I'm going to do that with everything inside of me because of him. Sergeant Rodriguez stands up there and says, follow me. Do what I tell you and you just might live. I believed him. He'd been there. Not just once, but a couple, three times. And he'd come home. I'm going to listen to him. Jesus has been here. And he's been tempted in all points like as we are, have been and are being. And he's conquered sin and death and hell. And he bears testimony and says, this is the way of life. And when I say amen to him, I'm honoring him when I trust his testimonies, when I seek him with that undivided heart. And then in verse 3, they also do no unrighteousness. And that means the Christian life, following of Christ, is, is not just knowing all the rules, all the regulations, saying yes to them. It means there's some rules and regulations that, would, that aren't written down. Uh, so I'm not just saying yes to stuff. I'm also saying no to stuff. There's no unrighteousness in them. When I see something that doesn't look like the character of God that I see in his commands, when, when it doesn't harmonize with what I'm taught specifically, I, I, can, I can take that and project it out and realize, even though there may not be a specific command about this in God's word, may not have a specific instruction, this is not godly. What do you watch on TV? What's your entertainment? I, I'm embarrassed at some of the things that I used to be entertained by. Not that they were vile, nasty, pornographic. But I can look at some of that stuff now and say, I can't believe I watched this. Nothing. This doesn't look anything like it. Looks, it's not like Christ. And you look at most of the situation comedies on TV, nothing godly in those things. Ungodliness. And so the blessed life, the happy life, is, is one that is discriminating with everything that they are and everything that they do. Man, we're out of time. Well, I got a few more minutes. Now, verses 1 through 3, let me read them again. And notice, these are just reflections. These are observations, meditations. I have looked, I have seen, I've made deductions, and this is what I've discovered to be true. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, hearts are whole toward God, who walk, who live, act out what they know in the law of the Lord. Everything God says. How blessed are those who observe, who keep what God has sworn to, his testimonies, who seek him in doing that with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. And so here's a, another term, God's ways. Uh, that's a term that just means, you know, your ways come out of your character. It's not just what you profess. You're, you're, 
out of the heart comes the abundance of your life. Your, your life reveals what, what's inside of you, your character. And so I walk in God's ways, what looks like him. There's a illustration of what ways means. Uh, Proverbs 30. There are three things too wondrous for me. Yea, four that I don't understand. The way of an eagle in the sky. The way of a serpent on a stone. The way of a ship in the sea. And the way of a man with a maid. In other words, he says that how they do what they do, there's no really explaining it. It's just, it's just their way. Have you ever worked or lived with somebody and somebody said, oh, don't pay any attention to them. That's just their way, you know. Well, God has a way. And everything in his commands is an expression of his, his way. And so here's where it changes. You have ordained your precepts. Now, what is a precept? Precept is a principle. For God, justice is a precept. Forgiveness is a, is a precept, a principle, an operating structure. You have ordained. In other words, that is an expression. These things are because simply he has ordained them to be. He has called them into being virtually out of nothing. And he said, justice is from me out of my, my being. So there are things in, in, that God gives us in law that are his precepts. And they are to be kept diligently. And the word kept there, as you look in verse 4, I ask you to keep your Bibles close. The word kept there is a word that means to guard or to watch over. It doesn't mean do them. Now certainly you do them. But your doing of them also functions as keeping them, guarding them. So that when we see somebody's life that is blessed and they are doing God's precepts and God's law, what they are doing is protecting it. They are guarding it so that it's alive and well and we can see it. You see, when we don't live like this, we have ceased to guard what God stands for. And it falls to the wayside. It's not held up and shown to be big as it's supposed to be. And, and so when we, when we keep God's precepts, it, it, it is that they may be protected and watched over inside. The church ought to be keepers of God's word. Not just in saying it, but in living it. In the face of the world. Keep them diligently. Protect them. Oh, now look at this. This is interesting. Three times we've seen the word ways. I see their ways. Look at the ways of those people. And then in verse 3, that was verse 1. Verse 3, he says, God, I see your ways. Their ways are good because they walk in your ways. And then he comes to verse 5 and he says, you know what? I've got a way too. What does my way look like? There's a way about you. What is your way? 
Is your way consonant with God's way? Do you sing the same tune that he sings with his character? And so he prays in verse 4. He said, Lord, you have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established. The word established there is a word of a finely set, settled issue. It's not something I'm trying out. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, just try being a Christian for a month. See how you like it. You know, see if it doesn't work for you. That's not biblical, guys. He says, I want my way to be settled. I want my commitment to you to be once and for all and done. And, and everything in my life is, is built on top of that. Oh, that my ways may be firmly established. To keep your statutes. Here's the next word. Now, notice, I, I think there's a progression here. He had, in verse 4, he talks about God's precepts, God's principles. Out of those principles come statutes. So that if he says, <clears throat> forgiveness is a, is a precept of mine, the statute would be, forgive your brother. And so we go from precept to statute. And the interesting thing about a statute is it's a word that means it's written down and graven in stone. It's permanent. It doesn't change with the culture. Because God doesn't change. This is who God is. This is his precept. And this is what it looks like in practice. All of God's precepts have, have a, a practice about them. And then we go to. To verse 6, and it, there's the word command. I should not be ashamed when I look upon all your commands. Well, <clears throat> the little division of light that goes through this prism is this. We go from his precepts <clears throat> to his statutes. And we say, well, what authority do you have to make a rule? How, how, how can, where do you come with commands. It, it's a word that implies authority to it. He is the one who has the right to command the statutes because he is sovereign. He is creator of everything. And to not live under God's commands is the act of rebellion. The greatest command is to love him with everything that you are. You know what the worst sin in all the Bible is? It's just to say no to God. I, I won't love you. I, I won't follow you. You can have your religion. You do what you want to do. And I'm, I'm going to be a good person. I'll just go my way. You can't be a good person and reject what the author of everything, with all of the authority, <clears throat> who has given commands and statutes and has the sovereign authority to do so and say, I'm going to do it on my own terms. I did it my way. Well, there's no blessing in that. And then his judgments. Another thing about this prism of light <clears throat> is that his, his precepts, his statutes, his commands are all saturated in, in judgment. Rational, 
thought out wisdom. When God says something and orders something, commands something, establishes something, it is not the product of whimsical, you know, today I think I'll do this. Uh, They tell me lawyers use this phrase, these phrases, that is arbitrary and capricious. And what that means is, I'm just doing it because I want to do it, and there's no good reason for it. It's just arbitrary. I'm doing that. God's word, God's revelation to us is a product not just of his authority, but it's a product of his, his judgment. It's considered wisdom. This is right. This is good. Now, let me just wind up. I was going to spend a lot of time on this. I'll, I'll just give you the, the outline. We, we start with, with the, the revelation that comes in these first three, three verses. He sees stuff, and it opens his eyes to stuff. Verses 4 through 8 are response. If this is true, this is how I'm going to live. Truth demands response. And I'm going to acknowledge his precepts, his statutes, his commands, his judgments. I'm going to honor that. Because you know what? When, when you read this in verse 6, he says, when I do this, I will not be ashamed. This is a word of conviction. He says, well, now put all that in front of me. I'm not there. And his word, when I see it, makes me see myself the way that I am. But the more that I'm conformed to his character, his will, his way, the less shame that I have. Now listen, I'm a believer. I'm forgiven. Every one of my sins have been nailed to the cross. The certificate of decrees against me has been canceled out because of the, the blood that Jesus Christ shed on that cross that covered every one of those sins. I am not guilty before God. And I say this with great humility. I'm as righteous before God as Jesus Christ is. Because I am in him. It's not my righteousness that he sees. But it's the righteousness, judicially, of Jesus Christ that I stand in. But beyond judicially, the practical matter is I, I'm, I'm still on the way, living that stuff out. But the more I see of him, the, the less shame that I have about my own life. Now, there's still plenty to be ashamed of. And, uh, you know, the world would look at a lot of it and say that, that you know, you know, you're, you're a really nice, wonderful guy. All my neighbors say that, by the way. <clears throat> but you know what? I, I know the truth about me. But the more I look like him, I'll not be ashamed. And he says, here's my commitment. You, your word has convicted me, Lord. I want to be that person that looks like that. And then in verse 9, he says, I shall, I, in verse 8, I will not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you. Both these are future tense. I shall do this. I'm going to do this. 
These are words of commitment. I've been convicted by God's word. I believe it. And I'm committing today to be what God calls me to be. Instead of being ashamed, I will give thanks to you with an upright heart. So God takes us from shame in Jesus Christ and takes us to giving thanks. The more you're aware of your forgiveness in Jesus Christ, the greater praise person you will be. And someday you might even sit down and write 176 verses of poetry that just flow from your pen. I will give thanks when I learn your righteous judgments. The more, I, the more I'm exposed, the more I understand, the more I see about you and who you are, what your will is, that will come true. I shall keep your statutes. I commit to it. Have you made a commitment to Christ? Have you seen his person? Who he is, his authority, his righteousness, his goodness, his wisdom. And been brought into conviction and said, that's what I need, that's what I want. And I commit to it. I shall do this. And then the last part. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. Now listen to that. Here's the commitment. There's two parts of that commitment. There's the human part of it. It says, I'm going to do this. I commit to this. It's right. It's good. And I I say yes to it. But God's side of this commitment is, Lord, I'm in, in me in my very best moment, standing in need of mercy and grace. At my very best, I am dependent on you. My commitment is only as good as your grace is in me. Lord, I'm going to do this. Don't give up on me. I need forgiveness. I need grace. Walk with me on this road. That I might be one of your blessed people that advertises to the world what it really looks like. To belong to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father we thank you. We praise you. For all of your law. Your ways. Your precepts. Your statutes. Your commandments. Your judgments. They are gifts of life to us. And may we see that every one of them is rooted in your love, your goodness, your sovereignty. May they guide us to you and away from ourselves and away from the world this day. We thank you for the truth 
of your word that we've been allowed to sit on the other side of the room today and listen to the psalmist as he has prayed and let us see ourselves by seeing him. We thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.